Hello, welcome to the I Word. This podcast will contain some strong language. Welcome back to the iWord. Uh, I'm your host Andy Sellers, and this is the final episode of Volume Two. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I'm, today I'm speaking to Georgia Birchall, uh, self-proclaimed Princess of Preston. Uh, George is great. We talk about being from up north, uh, coming down south to the state of theatres, representing uh, northern voices, and to that crazy and often confusing thing that is the headshot. And how something like that intercepted George's world and how the I-word has affected her world. So let's get into it. See if it's going. Yep. Hi, Georgia. Hello, Andy. (laughs) Welcome to the I-word. The I-word. Oh, you know what it's called? I didn't know what it was called. I word. Yeah, the I word. Because, because we don't we don't mention the I word. Yeah, Very okay. Good. What a start. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, welcome to the I word. Do not mention the I word, but we'll talk about things to do with it. Um, so yeah, so I've been starting each one by asking, when was the last time you thought you wanted to be an actor? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, <laughs> and that's an interesting question for you, but like yeah. it's totally your the, your the journey and stuff. The last time so. I wanted to be an actor. Um, well, I, yesterday I restarted The Artist's Way, probably my third time. Wow. And I sat down with myself and I said, okay, what are we calling ourselves when we (laughs) fill it in this time? (laughs) (laughs) Are we a dancer? Are we an actor? Are we an artist? What's the deal? And the order went actor, dancer, um, artist, and a singer. Singer came up, so I'm like, I'm just going to roll with this. Nice. We'll pop it down. Very good. So, probably yesterday was the last conscious decision I made to be like, I want to be an actor. And it was part of a kind of, to be like, it's like, it has to be an active thing to be like, I'm an actor, as opposed to like, I act. Yeah, I mean, with the training... Well, he's like, I'm a, a, like, if you ask someone, it's like, I'm a writer, or I write. I think it's a different thing but you but the way you said it was like I, I had to make myself go no I am an actor it was more of a conscious realize like realization so I spent most of my childhood being like oh I want to do this thing I want to be mm. an actor and then dropped out a little bit of it because it didn't I don't know something wasn't connecting or clicking up or feeling right mm. And then recently, since graduating and since being kind of more autonomous, acting, I'm defining what that means to me. So an actor isn't necessarily, when you think of Benedict Cumberbatch or (laughs) Jodie Comer, like my form of an actor is probably going to be something very different. Yeah, keep going. I just, I'm just interested what you mean. <laughs> well, I want to combine my understanding and my love for movement within everything that I know about acting, 
the definition of an actor is to portray a character on right. a stage. And then the definition of a dancer is something like, oh, to use your body in a story. And I want to do both of those things right. at the same time. So I want to redefine what an actor looks like to me. It's not necessarily going to be, oh, starring in a Northern Gritty drama, but it might be mm. I create a completely unique movement piece that's theatre dance. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, like where, where does that kind of, It's, it's, it's how it's it's a hard question to ask because I just like I know that like you have your own way with things and it's so good <laughs> and so, so so I'm just like how how do you how do you keep a how do you keep like a level <laughs> of that <laughs> like how do you go like what's your day to day when you think of like trying to be creative day to day oh. So how do you keep a le- like? How do I keep grounded, basically, with all of? No, these? not even that. Because it's like that makes it sound like you have you like you need to keep a, like <laughs> reins on it. But just how does that manifest? Like, what do you do in your day to day that you feel like you keep? You feel like you keep being creative and keeps connecting you back to all those original things of wanting to be a dancer and an actor and all this on your day to day. Or do you just not? I spend a lot of time watching people. Yeah. And scribbling down things in my <laughs> journal. So there was this lady on the tube today. She was sat directly opposite me. She was wearing this leather jacket. She was twiddling with her phone. But every time she'd scroll twice, she'd touch just the very, very top of her hair and twist it and then put it back in place every single time she did two scrolls of her phone. Hmm. And I was just mesmerised by how delicate her fingers were touching this hair. So I scribble down little like cartoon sketches of people mm. and movements that talk to me because I'm like I'm gonna use that somewhere but I don't know where yet. Right, I was just about to ask. So when you like when you see something like that, do you immediately see a theatre or do you see like a, a, a shot of a camera or do you just go, I feel something that I feel mm. like something's there and I don't know what it's gonna be. I think it's a mixture of feeling whatever it is. Mm. And also like a camera, I wish I had the ability to record people without them knowing. Because mm. you, you are a photographer as well. <laughs> yeah. I always say that, it's like, yeah. you, don't, you don't just take photographs, you like to, I do. you are a photographer. And as, does that come into, do you see that in the same bracket as acting and dancing? Or is it a sort of separate thing? Oh, I would say it's quite separate. Yeah. I think my understanding of the human condition helps when I'm taking pictures of other people. Right. Um, but no, it's so separate. Behind the camera, I feel safe because I'm not the one being looked at. Right. How are you when you get your photograph taken? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually had an amazing headshot. Well, it wasn't a headshot session. I saw them recently. Session. Yeah, I saw them. <laughs> Thank <They were> great. <laughs> um, the And that came about really funnily because I had this headshot session booked and then I moved back to London and I had a party with some friends and I came to the realisation that I don't want to chase acting the way that I've been chasing it. I don't believe an actor, for me, is what I've been shown. Mm. I want to dance, I want to move. Um, so the next morning I was thinking about this headshot session going, oh my God, not another session where I feel stagnant and scared and mm. frozen so I messaged her and I said, how would you feel about just kind of capturing elements of my movement along with some 
quote unquote traditional headshots. Right, right. And she was really up for it. Her name's Olivia Spencer. She's incredible. Yeah. Great. And um yeah, we had the it was one of the most creative, fulfilling experiences I've had to date. Mm. It was so good. Because I felt this is me mm. and the pictures actually for once portrayed that. It wasn't all of my energy kind of right. crumpled into this awful mass. I was just sharing it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that leads us on to something really interesting about because um, when I first thought about doing this, you were one of the first people I I told about, and mm. I was like, because I think your I think your perspective is so lovely and unique because I I think when we talk about the I word in brackets, your that that idea of like this headshot, which is <laughs> such like a key part of the I word, yeah. is so. Um, it's like the antithesis of, of, of what you sort of wanted and yet that has to sort of represent you. Yeah. So I, I wonder how you felt when, I mean, we're jumping around a bit, but we'll, we'll, we, we can. I wonder how you felt in third year. We went to the same drama school and I wonder how you felt, uh, just for context, I wonder how you felt in that third year when they were like, okay, so you have to get a headshot, this is what you have to get done, this is what you should look like, go find um, I was happy that the course was coming to an end. Yeah, um, nice. I felt slightly terrified because I felt more directionless than I probably ever had in my life. I was excited to be externally directed. That was a fresh right. perspective. Yeah, for, for just for context, in third year... Or certainly, in, certainly at Central, we all of our shows were directed by outside professionals. Mm. Um, which, yeah, just sort of carry on. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, that was a nice breather and break from the same tutors that we'd had. But it was still painful because I didn't... I had this idea and this knowledge of the talent that is somewhere inside of me, but it just wasn't translating out in the rehearsal space and out on performance. Hmm. So, third year and the headshots, oh, I mean, I spent 700 quid on these headshots that look nothing (laughs) like me. I remember getting to that session and just being told, look over there, straighten your back, look into the camera. And I felt just powerless. It was awful. But we live and we learn. Hmm. And that then kind of definitely steered me towards finding somebody, really finding somebody that would work with my talent and my my look and what I want to do. Mm. And finding somebody also that's at the beginning of their career, like I'm at the beginning of right. my career. I think that really helps. Yeah, I went for a very distinguished headshot photographer who was taking pictures of actors that were working very high up in the industry. Mm. So I think I also felt a little bit out of my depth. Right. Yeah. Did you feel, like, was that sort of one of the early signs in, did you see that, did you feel that as like a kind of red flag in third year? Or did you see it as like, oh, that's just <laughs> I thought that's how headshots were always meant right. to be. Yeah. I thought, oh yeah, headshots, that thing that actors hate, but they have to get done. Yeah, because I feel like that's, sometimes I feel, or not sometimes I feel, I think on reflection, I think that was probably the first time 
It's sort of one of those, it's sort of like a rite of passage mm. that when you go from second year into third year, it's like, oh, you get your headshots done and then you do this and then you do that. And the fir- and the headshots, I think, was the first one that was sort of like put you into the industry. It's the thing that you can like, you have and it's like a picture and it's like, a, it's almost like a kind of badge that's like, I'm now yeah. an actor. And so I wonder then how you then dealt with the next phase, which would have been the shows or the emails and the, <laughs> like, how did, how did it, how did that feel? Was um, it similar to the headshots? It felt like everybody else knew something that I didn't. <laughs> I think everyone else thought that as well. <laughs> <laughs> because I, you know, I'd look round the computer room and people would be typing away furiously. Mm. Oh yes, I'm just emailing Claire from blah blah. I was like, <laughs> how the fuck do you know Claire? <laughs> Who's Claire? Who is Claire? Who I'm still is? trying to work out who Claire is. <laughs> I'm still definitely don't, don't, don't have her email. <laughs> so yeah. we had this huge database. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. we spent hours collating all of these agents' emails. But half the agencies, you don't know who they're representing. It's like this secret world that if you don't have the door open to, right. you're blind. But then they also want to say, they say, make sure when you email us, you're directing it at the agent that you want. How do I know? How am yeah, I meant yeah. to know who I want mm. when you don't like you're not transparent on your website? Yeah, or you don't even know what you want to do as an actor yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like it still, I think, feels or it still felt at that time like completely different to what we had been doing for the last mm. two or three, eighteen, twenty years. Yeah. So I kind of want to go. We'll get back to stuff like that because I think it's. I think you're again, like I said, your perspective is really interesting on it. Um. Uh, but I want to go back to uh, to where you were, grew up. Uh, you grew up in... Chorley. Chorley. In Lancashire. Uh, and from what you said about Chorley, it doesn't sound like the cultural <laughs> <comfier>. hub. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm sure Lorna will be on the phone. Um, uh, the, I'm, uh, I'm just intrigued as to what you think. How did you get into... How did, how How, like... Okay. How did you get into something like acting and dancing and stuff, and in a place that you, I mean, you clearly love? I, everyone loves yeah. their hometown, but it's not. It's it doesn't. I, it yeah, doesn't it wasn't sound like exposed a place. to a, yeah. any cultural scene. The mm. cultural scene is pubs and getting fucked up, which is great. Which There's, is <laughs> great. We can endorse that on this podcast. <laughs> um, so my mum and dad are very creative people. Yeah. My dad was a record producer. Uh, back in the 80s um, and he was quite successful for a while and then oh, the markets changed and he lost his business and my mum went to art school, art college herself so she's very visually artistic and also her imagination so I was a kid and she'd move around the toys in my bedroom and then wake me up in the morning and we'd talk about oh, Mr Frog's ended up on the light how's that oh, happened? So my imagination was always something that I often like escape to, especially mm. with the home environment that I grew up with. It was it was like my safe space. Um, and my mum took me to ballet when I was really, really young. Mm. Um, and my first time on stage, and I only remembered this last week, was I was a Dalmatian. With <laughs> so I should laugh. It's just really sweet. <laughs> I had this little spotty dog costume, and there was about six of us, 
and the last dance was these Dalmatians and right before the curtain call there was this move where we came on from the right side of the stage we did three loops in a line and then we left from the left and I remember just loving being on stage so much and that kind of silence but where you can hear the audience moving and it was just absolutely magic and I was like I want to stay on here for Mm. longer so I did an extra loop after everyone else had left (laughs) (laughs) and the audience just erupted and I remember feeling it and being going yes this is where I belong (laughs) um so then cut forward a few years I'd quit ballet because it was too hard on my bones Mm. and um I was I played Robin Hood in year Ayo. five. Very good. I that was great. Smashed it. I loved being a boy for yeah. one, and I loved being the lead because I was great. I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> you feel like top of the world. Like I you're did. in the school plays, you're the lead. <laughs> On the playground. Well, I'd always wanted to be Mary, but some religious girl had got it. (laughs) So when I finally got Robin Hood, I thought that I'd been seen. (laughs) Um, And then I went to high school and I met an amazing drama teacher called Anna. And Hmm. acting with her became this really psychological, exciting, wonderful... Like, it was wonderfully deep. Hmm. It was suddenly how humans thought and how different humans thought and how did she do that for you because how what, did she get what was she was she giving you things to read was she introducing you to things or was it just so she in the room it was um it was a bit of a mixture actually so she was a classic student herself so she taught me a lot about the like greek mythology which mm. of course is those human beings back then were trying to personify these emotions and feelings that they had so that was huge um and understanding the origin of words was also a big part of the Mm. learning um and what else she introduced me to Stanislavski uh emotional memory um and it was just very philosophical Mm. we'd speak for quite a while about different characters and their role within the play did you feel, did you remember a certain, um, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's too personal, then reply, but do you remember a certain breakthrough in her classroom that was like, oh yeah, I remember that being a day? Yeah. Um, we did, uh, The Memory of Water. It's a know. play about three sisters who are at their late mum's home, sorting through her personal belongings and... It's a play about how memories are so altered and shifted through different perspectives. And I played the elder sister. And it was our moderated performance. So the external moderator had come. And it had been a great rehearsal process because it was such an intimate cast. I was with two other women as well. Mm. They were extremely talented. Um, And I remember the external moderator asking us to come in and speak to him in the office. And I thought, what is going on here? Got in and we're all stood up and our hearts are racing, <laughs> thinking, have we like cheated? What's happened? And he was in tears and he went, that's one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, are you wanting all to go on and be actors because you should be thinking about it? I've never, in all my 50 odd years of moderating, it's the best piece of theatre I've ever seen. 
And we were just, oh, so. whoa. Wow. Yeah, it was really moving. And that was probably, oh, I can How old were you? do this. You I was um, 14 or 15. Okay, around and that time. Around that time as well, I then went to see A Doll's House. Yes. At the Royal Exchange yes. with Cush Jumbo. Can you speak about that? Because you, you've spoken about that to me before. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, A Doll's House was written in like 1870-something. It's an old it's Ibsen an play. old, yeah. old Ibsen play. <laughs> and it was revolutionary at the time. He had to write a separate ending. And this was one of my first experiences at live theatre. I'd kind of seen musicals at the local little theatre but nothing like a proper play Mm. and I remember sitting down in the gorgeous Royal Exchange which is in the round and it's a really cool quirky Mm. space it's like really old Mm. but then it's got this kind of conquer in the middle of it that's very modern yeah and that's where the theatre space is I've never been I really want to go oh yeah you should do it's beautiful um and this play began and Nora starts off as this devoted wife and mother. Somebody who's quite fragile though and kind mm. of nervous. There's a lot of nervous energy. And throughout the play she reveals this secret and it's exposed. And the expectation that she's got of her husband to kind of save her is diminished. And just she realises who she's really been living with. And she realises that she has spent so much of her time in service of other people and not of herself. And she says, I have a sacred duty towards myself first. And I remember being in the audience and being so moved by that story because suddenly I I understood more about my own mum and why she was in the situation she was with my dad. I had more respect for myself and... It was that moment that I went, acting can actually change people's perception and can shift society forward. So that was a huge, huge moment. And I ended up going to the drama school that Kush went to. <laughs> so it felt very full circle. Mm. Just quickly before we go on, because I want to go, I want to talk a bit about that. But um, what was, who was, who was the, what was the play called? Memory of Water. Memory of Water, yeah. Who is it by? Do you know? Oh, I want to say Sheila Stevenson, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> give me, give me close. Memory of Water, who is it by? That's uh, but, but also the two other girls, are they still acting? No. My friend Marika tried out acting, so she did a foundation in musical theatre. Then she did, she went over to journalism in English. And now she's becoming um, a speech and language therapist. Oh, wow. And Izzy, oh, so her connection as well. Uh, still, yeah, very much, very much. And Izzy is a, I think she's a chartered surveyor. She's earning a lot of money. Nice. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her. She's the, she's the intelligent one. Exactly. <laughs> not to say you're not intelligent. <laughs> I think she's Just there. not wise. No, yeah. Like, yeah, if you want money, probably acting isn't the, the go-to. But... Um, <laughs> The so but though going back to the exchange, um, and I want so I wonder what what was it when you when you watched Kusjumbo do it? Mm. Did you imagine because I I imagine it probably affected you afterwards? Clearly, yeah, changed things. But when you were watching it, did you did you think, oh, I want to 
do that? Or I, were you imagining yourself in her place? Or were you imagining yourself as Chris Jumbo? Or were you thinking of the version in the future that you wanted to do? What was the thing in the moment that was like, that was just getting you? I think very much with the Dalmatian story, it was the atmosphere of the theatre. Yeah. It was that magical place where people are gathered to see this story, to share this experience. I don't remember specifically looking at Cush and looking at Nora. Yeah, in the moment. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was enthralled by the language and the story Mm. that was so revolutionary, even though it was written 300 years ago. Mm. That was the thing that was really glowing to me. I suppose now, I definitely, that story is something that I want to translate to an audience of this day and age. And it's something that I'm kind of in the process of doing. Watch the space. Yeah, exactly. Very good. So, um, we'll definitely talk about that later. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, when you think about the Dalmatian story, and you think (laughs) about uh, Nora, Mm. uh, and watching that show when you were, how have we been watching the show? Like, sort of same time. Yeah, 15. And The Memory of Water. When you do shows now, or when you did shows in third year, or when you act in scenes at drama school, do you still get that same feeling? No. No, I don't. I think the training, or my lack of ability to meet the training meant that something was very disconnected when I got up to do something. I feel like that when I dance, when I'm moving, Hmm. I feel taken by something else. It's, I touch on it sometimes. There Hmm. was one performance that we did at um, uni that I I thought I did it then. And it was, I was doing Anne Sexton's poem um, where she's in the mental institution. It was my American poem retake. Oh God, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah I remember it. Because that was also a story that I cared about. Right. M- her mental illness was something that I could connect with and I felt passionate to share. Mm. Everything else at drama school was... It sort of felt very meaningless to me. Very foreign as well. Mm. Um and I don't know whether I was going through a lot parallel to drama school and perhaps it was just that I wasn't truly invested in finding where I could fit my passion into the stories. But yeah, from the from the offset, it felt very isolating. And I kind of want to ask, again, and this is, you know, this is a personal thing, but I know you and I, and I wouldn't ask you anything that would make you feel uncomfortable. But I kind of want to ask, how your how the outside world affects you when you go into acting i guess what i'm trying to ask is what do you see when you see acting do you still see it as an escape or do you see it as like Depending on what's going on in your in your real world, do you feel that you ever bring that into the into the room, or do you do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I suppose when something becomes an goes from an amateur love into right. a profession, yeah, there's is, an yeah. element that the escapism only goes so far. 
it can only take you to a certain extent for you to turn up seven days a week you need more than just I want to escape my real life it needs to be like a discipline yeah um it is real life effectively exactly it's turning into that yeah Yeah, it's your work um so I suppose that was always going to be an element of pursuing it as a career Mm. that that escapism would somewhat diminish and lose itself but I suppose I was still always hoping to love it yeah and I feel like I fall in and out of love with it (laughs) constantly yeah I really love doing as you like it yeah in summer yeah we've talked about that before yeah we did the show in in we 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 worked out the day we did that five weeks ago now or whenever this has been recorded yeah it was only five weeks ago or the second time we did it okay but um you felt it during then you yeah, I felt, I felt love then because it was such an intimate cast, because we were outside and we were doing it to the trees mm. and had the sky above us. Um, and I felt safe. I, I thought Callum was an incredible director and I felt very safe in his, in his vision. Mm. I don't always feel safe with directors. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean... I'd, like, I'd encourage you to speak about that as, as much as you'd like I, to. I think it's more my problem than theirs, definitely. It's... Well, I don't know, I'm sure it's theirs as well. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, why do I feel uncomfortable? If I don't feel like I'm being... I feel like some people see me or and I feel like they make an instant judgment. Right. And then that's, that's who I that's... am. That sticks. And that hands. sticks. And there's no helping me to a certain extent because that's that's that. Whether mm. I'm putting that on myself because I've been in un, or kind of uneven territory where I'm not really sure what I'm doing. So I'm not able to give over trust very easily because I don't trust myself. Mm. I think maybe over summer I began to trust myself a bit more. And because it was such a relaxed environment... I was able to give over that trust to Callum. But um, it's a learning curve, isn't yeah. it? It's all yeah. lessons. I mean, I, I've, I would speak from experience of doing a few things with you and I, I've never, ever felt that you've come into a room with nothing but, you know, professionalism and positivity. So, <laughs> but, so, so you go... So we, we, we did our final recall together as well. Yeah, we which did. Which I always remember. And I always think it's really strange <laughs> when I think back of this. But so where were you, what kind of headspace were you in going to drama school? Because again, it seems, it seems like, it seems like the kind of, you had, there was a kind of, uh, this is me maybe projecting, but mm. it seems like there was a kind of, there was a drive to do something. It was bobbling along. Mm. Uh you're feeling good and then you get to like 18 and sixth form and then where does the drive to where does the idea to go to drama school come from um drama school had kind of come into vision around about 15 right anna kind of sat me down and went i've trained one other person like you and she's performing on the globe stage now have you heard of this thing called drama school and i no what's that Mm. so I started looking into it a bit and it kind of went to the extent of doing Lambda and Rada because I was doing the examinations with them Um, and then I got to college and I went to a performing arts college in Manchester 
So that was very much the next step was to get into drama school and their success rate was quite high. Um, so I left high school and I started college and immediately I I didn't enjoy it then even because I wasn't working with Anna. It wasn't this philosophical, psychological thing anymore and I, I couldn't, I wasn't relying on myself to make it that. Was there a, a safe, you used the word safety before, Mm. In Callum, was there a safety in Anna that you sort of... Yes, I trusted, I would trust Anna with my life. Right. And that was why it was so then when a it great went, working relationship. Okay. Yeah. So then I didn't trust, I didn't trust these teachers. I thought they don't know what they're talking <laughs> right. about. Right, yeah. And whether they did or they didn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's what, the, that's what you're coming in with. Exactly. And it's the same with the directors. Like, it doesn't matter if the director's great or good, if yeah. that's the feeling your it's very hard to get rid of that yes sorry i stopped you in sort of mid-flow no not at all so that was what i was feeling during college um and by to my total surprise i got into drama school Mm. and i mean i was overwhelmed i couldn't quite believe that it it was happening um but I was, I, I was still very determined because I thought it's going to get better. This is just a little blip. College is a little blip. Um, and I got to drama school and I think, again, this feeling of overwhelm that, w- that was people far better than I was with far more experience, yeah, far more life experience too. And just more exposure to theatre and to this classical language we were being inducted into. Mm. I felt just so on the back foot because the only classical text I knew was a tiny bit of Shakespeare and A Doll's House by Henry Gibson and I'd studied it for months Mm. Um, and hearing this like I was exposed to people that I never would have met if I didn't go to drama school Mm. just because of our social differences our social economic differences right so it was it was stepping into a whole new world how much how much of I wonder how much of feeling on the back foot is to do with maybe something as simple as coming from the north and then mm. going to a drama school in the south yeah I wonder how I don't know I, I, I don't know because I'm I'm yeah. from the south and I went to a, a school that apparently is the south <laughs> it's north to me but but like I wonder how you know how that feels, especially especially in the first year of drama school, which is there's still such a a emphasis on RP mm, oh. and classical texts being in RP, <laughs> and I just wonder how how that feels. Well, I just that may sound like a very boring question, no, but it's no. just like I think it's I think it's worth. Because this is something that I've only just been kind of processing and thinking Mm. about. And luckily now, I feel like I can do an RP accent. (laughs) Thank you. But it's... it's You don't need me to tell you that, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's funny because I currently live with um, two very young people who live next door that have seen our shows. Yeah, yeah. And they, they were talking to me today and they went... Speaking a British voice, 
was like, Christ. this is a British <laughs> yeah. voice. Yeah. Um, so for, I think there is such a natural age-old divide that is even prevalent within that age group. They're aware that I speak so differently. Right. And I'm aware that as those like little people hearing this beautifully articulate voice is so foreign for me. Mm. Um, drama school coming in, being bombarded with this new language was... I mean... I just felt like it was a, a uphill battle that I was not willing to or could even attempt to climb. Right. right. I was like, I don't know anybody who speaks like this in the real world. These people do not exist to me. I know you're saying they're here, but mm. I have never been exposed to that. And then when you have to then try and, like, you know, when you have to then try and play someone truthfully. Yeah. In a way, you're you're already having to jump over a fence, sort of thing. Yeah. Like it's like I didn't think this fence was going to be here, and now <laughs> now I have to get over it yeah. before I even get close to the mm. sort of the truth of the scene or the character. Yeah, definitely. It was a definite big thing. I mean, now I look back and I go, I have been exposed to those types of people, and I I can no, see no, of course, those people. Of course, but it's, it's different. It's, yeah, but at it's the different. time it was. I mean, I spent most of my time on trains back home. Because that was where I felt more comfortable. I knew right. it. It felt safer. Mm. I was also, I feel, escaping a bit. Mm. Definitely. But... No. I think I spoke to um, uh, Holly recently mm. on, on this. And she was speaking about... Um, I asked her about um, representation of Welsh voices. Because mm. she, she comes from Port Talbot and... I wonder, in the same way, how do you feel? Was was Chris Jumbo in? Was where's Chris Jumbo from? She's a East End girl. Oh right. So, but when you saw it, was she doing it in her own accent? Or was she just? Oh no, she was beautifully, beautifully right. RP. But I wonder, like, how how does it feel? How does it feel to see? How does it feel to hear Northern voices when you're down here? Oh, it's always so comforting. Right. And immediately you're like, you have a trust with somebody. Mm. Oh, you're from the north. Oh, it's like when a you, final but, life. But when you, see, as when, when you see something as well, mm. do you feel that same thing? Do you feel like, oh, God. Oh, God. well, sometimes, but some, most times I know that they're posh people putting on this voice. Right. So, right. Okay. <laughs> and that so, yeah, 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 me yeah. Off. Right. Because I think you can, you can often go to like, I don't know why, but I think it's always in like a Shakespeare when like there's like a fool or someone there's like a sort of like a servant character yeah. and it's just like most generic northern accent. Mm. How do <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't think you need to say how it feels, but, but I think I get it, but do, do I said I said posh people doing it. No, I, I, accent, I know what you mean. Anyone who do, yeah. Southerners feel the same way when I try and attempt an RP accent? Are no. they going, oh that northerner? Well, I can't speak for the entirety of the South, but I think that I I would personally feel I'm so used to hearing my own accent on mm. stage that I probably wouldn't even think about it as yeah. much. That's just me. Yeah. But I but I'm also a man, and I'm also a white man who is you know lower to middle class, and yeah. so I feel like I'm pretty well represented. Mm. When when you see a. Where, 
I just think it's I just think it's interesting that I still want to sort of push on how does it feel when you hear a play set in the north and it's performed by northerners down here. Do you feel anything or is it just like, oh, you know? I don't think I've ever seen a play like that, like you've just described. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's the God's honest truth. I know that um, Jim Cartwright well, Road. redid... That, that Road was the only one I could think of yeah, but in the I last didn't... decade. Yeah, I, I didn't get to see that. <laughs> so... Mm. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. I, is it yeah. or... Oh, I think it no, is. No, I mean, yeah, it but... Is. It is. It is, yeah. I feel bad. I feel... Why? I feel bad because... Oh, I don't know. I feel like I'm moaning. We can put on... If the demand was there, it would be happening. So maybe there just isn't a demand. I don't know. I don't know. I, we, we can't... I would... I, I don't know. I mean, this is complete conjecture, but I think people want stories. People want different kinds mm. of stories. And if we've not seen a play that's set in the North performed by a group of Northerners in, in London. 10, 15 years, and again, someone can by all means fact check me, but I just can't yeah. think off the top of my head. I think that's a problem. I think you, yeah. you should have that. I mean, I would love And that. I'd be very interested to see it. I think we need that as well. <laughs> yeah. in this, I, I need a biodiversity you... of, Absolutely. of content. Have you seen The Social Dilemma? No, I haven't. Okay, so it speaks about the, what's behind the screen that we are all glued to currently. Right. And how these algorithms are really polarising nations into you know the right and left. And mm. now more than ever, I think... We need that biodiversity within culture so people understand that, you know, we are all very similar and all the same and we all deserve and want the same things. Um, But it's so hard when you're just kind of shouting into an echo chamber. But remember, was it Jez Butterworth? What was the play? Jerusalem. Mm. That was amazing. We read That's, that together. Yeah, we read that in um, again, just for context. We read that in as a, like a our year did like play readings during lockdown, and we read that as one of them. Yes, I loved that, and that was on in London. That's yeah. not necessarily a northern no no story, but it's, but it's alternative. Right, it's a it's a different culture to the middle class south. Right, it's a set in. Um, Wiltshire, I think, mm. with estuary accents and that was estuary. amazing. I think estuary's that word. Yeah, I think maybe. Uh. I might have just made that up. <laughs> but um, uh, that's coming to, in to London in twenty twenty one. Yeah, is London. it? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. whenever theatres reopen, hopefully. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. And so we go to you. We go to drama school, mm. and then kind of to come back round to what we were talking about at the beginning. Um, the I word comes back into play. Oh yeah. And I wonder how much the I word affects because you mentioned before about falling in and love without in and out of love with acting. Mm. And I I wonder how much the I word affects that for you. Um, I don't really feel. I've not been exposed to the I word enough for it to affect me. I don't think. You I mean, are... I'm on spotlight, and yeah. the calls and castings on there are normally always diabolical okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i go is this all there is mm. and that was definitely a factor but i've not 
I've not had an agent since graduating, so that's not a relationship that I can comment on. Mm. I've heard people have wonderful, creative, collaborative relationships with uh, their agents, and I've heard of other horrible stories. Um, In terms of the I word as this kind of cloud of Mm. what's being put on, and I I suppose I just feel very outside of it. Like we just said, there's been nothing that's been northern by northern people in London in 10, 15 years, apart from Road by Jim Cartwright. <laughs> right. It's not something that I feel is 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 with me in it. Hmm. Do you and do you feel that is do you feel that's connected to Do you feel like if you were to get like a kind of casting through it, do you think it would be a a cliche or a stereotype? I would hope not, but mm. I can imagine it being yeah, from people that I've spoken to. Now, that was uh, that's maybe a bit more leading. Maybe maybe the better question would be maybe a better question would be: do, do you feel do you feel like it? Do you feel included and that it wants to include you? No, right, <laughs> no, but that's not to say. But that I don't it think will. yeah. That's maybe also not to do. That's maybe also not always to do. I think a lot of people feel that. Mm. And it's sort of one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, isn't it? It's like separating that side of it to the to the stories of you know you being in a Dalmatian, which yes. just sounds lovely. And and actually like it. That yeah, and actually like it. That was, yeah. Secluded and safe, and for us, and for the art, and for the words. Yeah. Do you feel? Do you feel sort of? I almost want to say, do you feel proud of as you like it? But it's a weird No, I do. I think of it very fondly. And it's not necessarily an individual pride. It's a collective Collective pride. Yeah. Right. What about you? Do you feel? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I feel very proud of it. I have, yeah. (laughs) You've got the poster. Yeah, I've got context. I have a a poster (laughs) on my wall uh, just to remind me that I... I have have I've done done something. Um, So then... So then during lockdown, and I I do hate talking about lockdown, but... Why? Well, because it just feels like, it's almost like if we're going to do a, we're going to do a nice positive podcast, let's not... I Let's think lockdown and... has been very positive for a lot of people. Great. Talk about that. <laughs> Fantastic. I want to hear it. Well, yeah. I mean, personally for me, it was absolutely what I wanted and needed and had been crying out into the universe for. Hallelujah. So Good. personally, it was beautiful. I reconnected with my mum. I had a break from London. I had a break from feeling like I needed to be somewhere in my life. Mm. I just stopped and I walked my dog, and I cooked good food, and I actually built up a really wonderful thing with my mum. And every time I'm in a restaurant, or on the bus, or on the tube, or at work, I hear people talk about lockdown, and how they stopped for a minute, and realised, I don't actually want to do this job, I want to try this. And, oh my God, I've come to this realisation... I've been trying to do things that people th- like told me to do and what I thought I should do, but I actually really want to be a writer or this or that. Mm. The amount of conversations I've ever heard has been 
exponential, huge. Oh, that's so good. How was lockdown for you? Was it different? No, yeah, it was good. It wasn't. I don't mean in terms of. I don't mean in terms of. I think what's I think what's really nice about, um, or one of the sort of like motivations behind doing something like this is mm. to, is to um, to maybe not you know, to have something that's not to do with. Of course, and so yeah. and I think that, but then again, the the kind of maintaining a sort of you know our industry effectively. Ooh, that's the first time I've said it. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Oh no! Um, our worlds, or our business in which our our craft, passion, whatever you want to call it, operates in, is on hold for a lot yeah. of us at the moment. And so, to to talk about something that's you know maybe not that, I think mm. is, that's one of the reasons why we do. Yeah. But that to hear that that's to hear that it's been so positive for you. Yeah, I think is great, and it's almost like it's. Do you did you feel like you had to do anything to maintain a sense of being creative, or do you think it wasn't even about that for you? It just was about yeah, it was it like a meditation almost. It was like, very meditative and right. very reflective and very almost kind of dreamlike. Hmm. Very very slow and yeah, not even about being creative, just about being alive like the very raw elements of what it is to be a human being mm. yeah i loved it That's good. however now i think is a completely different landscape as the government is trying to open but not fully open right. and protect but not fully protect and the amount of jobs that have been lost and now how saturated the job market is. It's a it's a quite scary to me. Mm. And it's quite scary, the comments that have been made by... Is it Rishi Sunak? I hope I've said his name mm. right. About professionals in creative industries retraining. Mm. I think, like, it's... To me, it's it's a very dark time. And I just hope and I keep this forward vision that after this has all kind of settled, there will be a huge party of mm. culture and art and of dance and of music because we are in desperate need of it. Mm. But yeah, currently, it's a, it's quite scary. But just like you said, it could... Uh, it's a very, you know, it's a very privileged position to say it, but it, it could... It, it could be a... It could be a blessing. Absolutely, and it, we could come out of it with a new lease of yeah life. appreciation and appreciation for our freedom, yeah, and for art. Yeah. Absolutely, that Absolutely. is my hope. Yeah, well, let's hope. There is <laughs> on um, on that uh, at the end. We always try and give a, a recommendation. Okay. Uh, did I did I tell you about this? Yeah, you did. Yes, good. Because um, I realised some of them I haven't told, and then <laughs> then they've just turned up and like, wait, what? Um, so yeah, I did tell you. So we tried to give a recommendation of something that you think could give that per- a person listening to this um, that moment of wanting to be an actor again. Um, I would recommend The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I mentioned it earlier. Mm. It's a twelve week course in recovering your inner artist. And it is a Bible to me. It's a, a book, I guess. It's as well. a book you can get it that on. you go through. Yeah. 
You can get it on Kindle, yeah, but yeah. I'd recommend getting it in paper. Uh, yeah. Um, and you work through it yourself, and the tools that she gives you are... It's all about, yeah, feeling safety within yourself to create again and mm. finding out why blocks are there and what oh. you can do to remove it and just all-round fantastic book. And when... So you mentioned that was... This is your third time going back to it. it when is. When have you... When have you gone to it for that kind of inspiration? I started... It was actually just coming up to the end of third year. That's the first time I started the book. That's the first time, really? Yeah. And I remember it... it, I ended up drawing a huge mural on my bedroom wall. (laughs) Much to my flatmate's (laughs) dismay. It was a rented flat. It was a rented flat. Oh, yeah, you're rented. Yeah, I've been there. (laughs) Wow. They came in and they went, uh, the deposit. <laughs> I spent the last day of our tenancy scrubbing, scrubbing the walls away. and oh, painting over it. That's kind of sad. It was sad, but, but, but it was like, very therapeutic. And also probably good for your deposit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which we got back. Yeah, very so. good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the first time. And then I picked it up again, maybe six months later. Right. And then I started it at the beginning of lockdown. And now I'm back. Hmm. I've never actually completed it yet. Oh, I've right. always stopped right about nine weeks in. Well, do you mind me asking why do you think you've stopped? I think I have stopped for a number of reasons. I think one of the reasons is that I wasn't including that I wanted to be a dancer. This is the first right. time I'm coming to it going, With I want to do this thing. Right, so when it's like brackets, artists, before it was kind of the actor's way and now it's like you're kind of thinking yes. about the other things yes to do with it. so she it's a book for all creatives yeah whatever that's discipline. probably worth mentioning as well yeah yeah um but you have to define yourself so i georgia virtual i'm a prolific brilliant dot 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 hmm. and for a long time i was putting actor only actor and then i was still just putting actor but i put artist too and now i've got dancer in there so i think it feels it feels very different this time. Right. Awesome. You've got to let me know how you do with it. I will. Georgia Birchall. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you, Andy <laughs> Sellers. <laughs> this podcast is produced by me, Andy Sellers. Thank you for listening.